The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. For many authors, their first interaction with a literary agent or a publishing house is a query letter. This is their very first contact, their very first communication. It is their first impression. And for sadly, too many authors, it is also their last impression. They do a bad job on the query letter or they don't know what they're doing and they don't get a response or they get that ever so polite and terse rejection. So how can you write the kind of query letter that people want to learn more about your book? When an agent gets it, their eyes light up and they say, please send me your proposal. Please send me your manuscript. I want to learn more. Well, to help answer that question, we have a best-selling author, Mary DeMuth, who is also a literary agent. She's been on both sides of both the pitching and the receiving of pitches, and she has a lot of wisdom to share with us today. Mary DeMuth, welcome to the Christian Publishing Show. It's great to be here again. Thank you for having me on. And yes, I've been an agent for about two months now, so... um Yeah, I feel like I have a lot of experience because whenever you're a brand new agent, uh, everyone and their dog queries you. So I've gotten a deluge of queries and um, I have much to say. So I'm glad to be here. I remember my first um, couple months as a literary agent. The first day, no one knew I was a literary agent. I got two queries and I sent each person this like personalized rejection letter. And they're like, <laughs> that same day, and they're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for getting back to me. And I'm like, I'm going to be the kind of literary agent who does this for everybody. And then the next day, I got five. And then the next day, I got 10. And then the next day, I got 50. I'm like, I can't write all these people personal rejection letters um, or personal send me more information letters. And so you learn really quickly what works and what. Uh, doesn't. But before we talk about the tips, let's talk through kind of what goes into a query letter. For some people who are like, I didn't even know a query letter was a thing. What is it even supposed to be? So give us kind of the ideal query letter in terms of components. Yeah, so it's basically a pitch about your project, whether it be nonfiction or fiction. And you begin by talking about the project. Um, usually there's uh, something about the audience and then you'll want to talk also about or write about your platform. And uh, usually like when you're writing a query about a novel, you'll end your like 50 word elevator pitch with a question. Will Thomas find the hidden treasure in Mesopotamia? That kind of thing. Um, if it's nonfiction, you might have more bullet points just talking about, you know, who this who this is reaching, why it's unique. Um, and then you just it's a, just a business letter. So you end it with, would you be, would you consider, um, looking more at my project? I have a proposal and sample chapters that I can send you. So it's as simple as that. It's a handshake. It's a first introduction and yeah, so that's what, that's what it is. And usually it's just an email these days. Like some people still like attach the query letter as a PDF and it's like, you don't need to do that. It's 2021 now. Yes. (laughs) That that just adds friction. It's not necessarily a penalty, but it's extra work for you with no benefit. In fact, I don't know how you are, Mary, but I would prefer to have that as just regular text in an email instead of some fancy PDF. Absolutely. Do not attach it as a letter or a PDF. Do not do that because I will be afraid of getting a virus and I'll just, I just won't respond. So don't do it. 
So what are some mistakes that you've seen people do in their queries? Give us some of the common pitfalls to avoid. The first pitfall I would say is not knowing your agent audience. And so you really do need to do your research prior to querying someone. Um, the ones that I reject out of hand are the ones that just are not a fit for me. And um, I got a very strange one uh, a couple weeks ago that was kind of a coming of age book, but it was definitely of adult themes. And I'm a Christian literary agent, so I am not going to take adult themes, and I'm meaning that in kind of a pornographic sense. Um, so, so know who you're querying. That's probably one of the biggest problems that I come up against. I'll get a query for a children's book. I don't know anything about the children's book industry. It's a great industry. There's some great agents out there for it. I am not your person. When I was a literary agent, I used an app on my computer called Text Expander, where I have these little codes, mm -hmm. and I had special rejections, and I had a hyphen memoir, because I did not represent memoir, and a lot of memoirists didn't realize that. And so as soon as I saw that it was a memoir, I just type in hyphen memoir, and it would go bloop, and it would drop in a two-paragraph rejection, and then i just click send, and I was done. <laughs> it was like, yes. And I think I also had hyphen secular, because I was with a Christian literary agency. And so it's like, oh, this is a secular book, you know. And, and I would, and then I had like nice no, firm no, you know, yeah, crazy yeah. no. I had all different, <laughs> different levels. And, um, but the fastest rejections that I would give were exactly what you're saying, were people who hadn't done the research and didn't realize that I didn't represent uh, fiction or I didn't represent memoir. Like each literary agent uh, is looking for a certain kind of book. And really, if you want a literary agent to say yes to you, you don't just want to know like what category they represent, but what about that category makes them excited, right? Listen to their interview on the Christian Publishing Show. <laughs> Read what they um, have listed and what they're looking for in the Christian Writer's Market Guide. There's ways of doing research on literary agents ahead of time. And not only does this make it more likely for them to say yes, but it also helps you from wasting time. You could spend 30 minutes crafting this perfect query to a literary agent where they don't read it for more than five seconds because they see some keyword that makes it obviously a no. And maybe your book wasn't really memoir, and it just looked like a memoir because that's how you worded your query letter. Well, guess what? When I have 50 emails to go through in a day, I'm not reading it really carefully to realize, oh, this is actually a nonfiction book with memoir elements. But if you'd have done your research and let mm -hmm. me know, then I would have paid more attention. Yeah, definitely. I think the other thing that... Um Obviously, having errors in your query is a bad, like grammar editor, uh, you know, grammar edits that I just will, because I'm a grammar police, I'll just say, if you can't spell things right in your query letter and you spell check, that's the end of you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, definitely make sure it's right and it sounds okay. Um, An easy tool for this is the app Grammarly. Yes. It's a yes. little bit of money, but it's totally worth it. There's a free version. I'm not a grammar person, and mm -hmm. I really like Grammarly I know this because about you, every Thomas. time it points, <laughs> everybody listening is like, trust me, Thomas, we know. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I really appreciate about Grammarly is that when it fixes my grammar, it also explains the rule of why it was wrong and how to do better in the future if I want if I want that info. And so I've been slowly getting educated on commas. I know I think about 10% of what I need to know, but it's 100% more than what I knew a year ago. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, and so, but that really is a turnoff because if you, can, and, and this is really where it has to be perfect. It doesn't mean your manuscript has to be perfect, but if you can't get your query letter perfect, it indicates that you don't really know English well enough to write a novel. At least that's the impression a lot of uh, agents get because they're looking with people who have a really strong control over the English language. Yeah, I mean, you're competing with high-level authors. And, you know, there's a lot of high-level authors that, that are looking for agents right now, and not all of them get accepted. And so if you have a, a mistake on your query letter, you're up against them. And it's just that it's an automatic no. So what are some other mistakes that you see in query letters? Yeah, so I think another one is uh, not knowing your specific audience. And so I think, and I'm sure you've talked about this a thousand times, Thomas, but niche is better than wide. And uh, I don't, I, I think that a person does not understand the publishing industry when they say, my audience is 20 to 75 year old Christian women who go to church. And, and I'm sorry, but that's not your audience. Your audience is most likely someone like you in your age range. And it is um, most likely a Far more narrow than that. Now you can have tertiary audiences of different kinds. Um, I may have a primary audience of women, but men read my books. But that doesn't mean that in my query I'm going to say, you know, I everybody wants to read this book. No, I'm going to focus it because that's what sells books. There's, the, as they say, there's riches and niches. <laughs> that's right, and not just being demographically specific. Demographically specific is often not very useful because a lot of right. authors don't know what to do. They're like, okay, I'm targeting 34-year-old men. It's like, but now what? Like, how do I do that? And so, while it's useful to have a narrowly defined audience in terms of demographic information, it's more useful to have a narrowly defined target audience in terms of psychographic information mm -hmm. because this indicates the literary agent. You haven't just picked a target audience. You understand your target audience. You understand why they read books. You understand the pain that is in their life that they're looking to alleviate with the books that they're reading. And the psychographic information is really, really helpful. And I do have an episode, I believe it's on my other podcast, all about psychographics. So if you go to novelmarketing.com, or actually, I'll, I'll, I'll announce it here. I'm, I'm building a new website, pickthomasesbrain.com, which is a search engine that searches <laughs> all of my different podcasts and blogs across all of the different sites where I create content. So just go to pickthomasesbrain.com and type in psychographics and it'll take you there. Okay, that's going to do well. Uh, what are some other <laughs> <laughs> What are some other mistakes that you see uh, authors making? Um, before I go into that, I just think that's the next book title for you: "Pick Thomas's Brain" by Thomas Umstead, <laughs> an encyclopedic <laughs> book about everything. Okay, um, another uh, problem that I see is that people are timid about their platform, or they don't understand the necessity for one, and so they don't tell you in the query. And I can't tell you how many times, almost every single time I, I have to, if I see something that's intriguing to me, I will say, just please send me your platform numbers, your social media numbers, your email list, your you know web stats, all of that, because I can't make a decision without that. And just if you're teasing me along and not giving me that information along the front end of things, I'm just, I might be more frustrated with you. So just say it like it is. Um, and also remember, this is just a little side tip. I ha I am taking people that don't have gigantic platforms, but they do have some, some adjacent platforms that 
uh, are very strong. And so those of you who are like, I'm trying so hard to build my platform and I've only got, you know, 2,000 here, 5,000 here, 1,000 there. Um, if you have a, a connection with someone who would will, be willing to write a forward for you who has a great big platform or you have some adjacent platforms that you can kind of, that you know with, you know, with integrity that you can, that they have promised you and said that they would promote your work there, um, then by all means, you can add that as well. But don't just not list it because it, it's a red flag for me. And another thing you might think you're really clever by putting all of your plans for all of the things you plan to do to promote your yeah. book. The stuff you want to do in the future or the stuff you hope to do in the future is not the same as a platform. Saying, I would like to go on Focus on the Family to talk yeah. about my book <laughs> is not the same as saying Focus on the Family has agreed to have me on their show to talk right. about my book, right? If you know for sure that Focus, you've been on Focus on the Family's radio show before and they said, hey, we really support you. We want to have you on again. That's really valuable. Like publishers are, you know, going to pay attention to that that's going to get an agent's attention but hoping that someone is going to introduce you to focus on the family so that you can talk about your book on that radio show is not going to get you um any attention it's not going to get you any um uh, credibility and and often you know i I, when i would get pitches this is one of the things i really would pay attention to because you know this is my area it's marketing and my question would always be well if you're planning to do all of these things why haven't you started doing them already? Like, why haven't right. you showed me that you've got the ability to start getting on radio and you have the ability to get articles published on major publications uh, related to your area? Why haven't you started that podcast? And if the reason is because I don't know how, I have a course for that. It's called Obscure No More, and it's all about building a platform, <laughs> uh, which you can find at authormedia.com or just go to pickthomasesbrain.com and do a search for Obscure No More. <laughs> Obscure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or platform building. I have a lot of free resources on that. But um, yeah, that's one of those things. And I will say what I looked for more than anything else was email list. Because yep. if somebody had a really big social media following, but they weren't able to convince those people to get on their email list, my assumption was that they wouldn't be able to convince those people to buy their book. Because if they're not going to trust you f- with their free email address, they're not going to trust you with their money. Yeah, and that brings up a really important part of this too, which is more nuanced, but engagement on your social media. Your social media should be the the springboard or the, the jumping off platform for building your email distribution list. And if you have um, a lot of followers, but they are not engaged, it really means nothing. I saw a, a video recently on YouTube about um, a girl who was supposed to be like a fashion makeup influencer. She bought all of her followers and she photoshopped herself like at galas. It was really creepy and weird. And she was only like 19 years old. And it was all fueled by her mother. But it was still really odd that she was being approached by brands because of her number, but the number meant nothing. All of the accounts following her were fake accounts. And so if you have a moderate social media following but you have high engagement you you want to emphasize that as well and the most valuable kind of engagement is comments because that yeah. really indicates because Not the likes. bots now can like just fine although i will say the bots can also comment now the um, yes I depending know, on which kind of bot farm you're paying for there's a lot of bot farms now that can leave really human-looking comments, which is actually not very hard because they're not competing with, like, humans trying hard. Social media yeah. comments are often, like, typed with thumbs in their 
mostly AI generated anyway. You start typing a comment and it starts suggesting words and you start tapping that center button on your phone and just using what the AI is suggesting. And so this is kind of the fundamental flaw of social media is that it's really hard to tell uh, who's real and who's not. Uh, And there's a lot of incentive to create bots that like a bunch of random accounts. You may not be buying random accounts on social media, but you may still have bots following you. In fact, mm-hmm. um, there's a good chance if you've been on Twitter for any amount of time, as much as 30 to 40% of your Twitter followers are bots. And if you've been advertising on Facebook, you may have as much as 50% of your followers are bots. Um, because uh, if I am a Russian bot farm, I want my bots to look like real Americans, which means they need to like just random stuff. And so they're just going to be clicking like on all the ads <laughs> that they see. So um, you don't want to just have social media numbers. Social media right. numbers alone are very suspicious. It's not 2011 anymore where a publisher would be like, all we need is a bunch of Facebook followers and we know you're a big, big time. They're really looking for something else that can demonstrate that that social media is real. So something like an email list, maybe lots of downloads on a podcast. Bots are not downloading podcasts because Mm -hmm. those are really expensive (laughs) from a bandwidth perspective to do. I mean, occasionally they are, but typically they're doing it maliciously. Um, So like a podcast is very impressive to a publisher if you've got good download numbers. What are some other numbers that you look for, Mary? I mean, that, that's, that one's really important. So now when I'm pitching, because I also am an author, I am pitching through my agent to publishers. The first thing I list is my podcast. Uh, you know, having 1.6 million downloads is a big deal. And that's probably my best platform. And so it's surprising that it is, but that's what it is. But these are actual engaged people. These are folks that not only support the podcast, but they buy books from me and uh, they have a relationship with me. And anytime you can foster that kind of relationship with a reader, you're going to sell books if you're a likable person. If you're a creep and weirdo, then maybe not. But if you're a really likable person and you've done well to build your tribe and shepherd them well, then they will want to buy from you. In your podcast that's got the 1.6 million downloads, it's not a complicated podcast. You're not interviewing no. gurus. You are reading a verse from the Bible and praying for four minutes, and then you are shutting up, and that's the end of the podcast. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's not a rocket science podcast, but it's a really you know edifying and encouraging podcast, and it's a little bit different. Surprisingly, a lot more podcasts are people talking to each other, like this one, than they are people praying. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, in terms of other mistakes, I think obvious. this is a silly one, but obviously when you misspell my name, um, don't do that. Uh, and um, also being secretive a little bit. Like if you're, there's some people out there, I think that are afraid that if they share their idea, someone's going to steal it. Well, this is not the time to be afraid of that. I have no time to steal your idea and I don't want to because I have too many ideas of my own. So map it out. Be very clear about what you're writing and don't leave it hanging. That's why uh, when you're a novelist and you're pitching your novel, um, an agent will ask for the synopsis and it better show the ending because I don't want to be like wondering about the ending. I want to know what it is to know if you know how to write a novel and... So yeah, keep the mystery out of it. Don't try to be coy. Um, Jim Rubart would say to shock the broca, uh, which means to do something different or interesting, but that's different than being coy and um, being mysterious. <laughs> you know, I the, someone that writes something mysterious or esoterical, I just will say no because I if they can't communicate clearly to me in an email, a business letter like that, then they're not going to communicate clearly to their readers. 
and they'll be a difficult client for you to work for or work with moving forward. You know, this is a long-term relationship. Um, that copyright for that book lasts 75 years past your death. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> no, I'm going to live 75 more years. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, then it doesn't trigger. Like the law waits oh, for right. you to die, <laughs> and then it kicks in for 75 yes, oh, more okay. years. So if you lived for 75 more years from now, it's a 150-year relationship between your heirs and their heirs. Um <laughs> Like, Sorry, that's, kids. <laughs> yeah, that's like a kingdom alliance level relationship that you're starting. And so um, some of the things agents are looking for is, is this person going to be uh, easy to interact with? Can they communicate mm-hmm. clearly? Are, are they really awkward? But another thing they're looking for is just, do you understand how this industry works? Yeah. Am I going to have to teach you every little thing or have you done your research. Have you been listening to the Christian Publishing Show and all the back episodes and gotten this great free education on you know how agents work, what they're looking for, how books work, what makes for a good book? Right? There's a lot of things to learn, and a lot of authors don't yet know what they don't know, and that often shows in the query letter in some of these ways that you're pointing out. And when an agent sees that, they're like, "This person's not ready," and it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean. You know, if you get a nice rejection, it's just like keep working on your craft, keep researching the industry, mm-hmm. keep listening to podcasts, keep going to conferences whenever those happen again, and eventually you'll be ready. But a lot of folks don't realize that they're not yet ready, and the rejection is kind of a way of revealing that. I think that's probably the other thing that I see in query letters is I get a lot of from people who aren't ready. They haven't. They have no platform. They have. Um, poor use of the English language. Uh, They are naive about the publishing industry. They haven't done their homework. They haven't done their 10,000 hours. They haven't understood the um, not despising small beginnings. They haven't tried to get published on smaller platforms. They haven't been published anywhere else than maybe their blog, who their grandmother reads. Um, And, and, uh, you know, of course, the other thing that's really a turnoff for an agent, and I feel sad about saying this, but it's true. People who uh, respond back to me when I ask for platform numbers and they say, well, I just, you know, I, I just want to write books and God will be my marketer. Um, and that's just a cop out because if you really feel called to this business, and it is a business and a ministry as a Christian, um, then you will do whatever it takes in your business to move copies of books to get them into the hands of people who need to have their lives changed. It's not easy. It's not. It's not the the sad narrative, or actually the happy narrative of the really pretty girl in the diner who gets dis- discovered by a talent agent and becomes the next supermodel. That happens once in ten thousand people. For the most part, there's grunt work and years of work. I I wrote for 15 years before I got my first publishing contract. And I don't say that to discourage you. I say that to say you need to do the work. And if you're not willing to do the work, I can't agent you because I can't hold your hand and make you do it. That would be exhausting for me. Also, saying God will be my marketer is bad theology. It's yes, like the definitely. Israelites saying, oh, God has given us the promised land, therefore we don't need to go and fight the giants. It's like, no, God has given you the promised land, therefore go fight the giants. <laughs> it's like, and, and you will have victory. It doesn't mean that you don't do the work. It means that you do the work, and it is hard work. And the same that was true all the way back then for the children of Israel is still true for you. Don't feel like 
Um, somehow you're not good. The, the curse of thorns and thistles and working by the sweat of your brow doesn't apply to you because you're on the same planet with the rest of us. We ha- None of us have gotten <laughs> to Mars yet. <laughs> and so you're, you're going to have to work hard. And, and there's just no way around that. So we've talked about some of the mistakes to avoid. Now let's talk about some tips. What are some things that get you really excited or like ways of really spicing up that query letter where you're like, yes, tell me more. Yeah, so basically all the opposite of what I've just told you. Um, knowing who I am and what I represent. Uh, also knowing if I, now at this point, since I only have you know 12 or so clients, um, you may not know who I represent, but down the road there will be a, a page that shows exactly who I represent and then you'll know. Um, but you'll know like if I already have someone in that position already and you'll know um, that I like this particular type of thing. Um, having it be clear, I like bullet points. It makes it easier on my eyes. Um, listing your platform, uh, not being shy about it, uh, showing your willingness to learn and your willingness to um, do whatever it takes to, to sell this book. And then also, it's really nice to show that you've already reached your audience somehow. Um, I had a, a good call with a potential client this week, and she's already has all these like Facebook pages of private Facebook groups of people who are experienced the issue that she's writing about several thousand. And to me, that's like she's already been reaching this audience. She already knows her audience. She's already well attuned to what they need. She's throwing conferences for them and webinars and she's interacting with them. And so I think a lot of times we throw that cart before the horse in the sense of we have this book idea. We really want to write it, but we haven't tested it at all. We haven't asked our Facebook friends, you know, what do you think of when you think of this? We don't get their input about it. We don't... uh, query our email distribution list, which I do quite a bit, actually. I ask them about, if I have a book idea, what do you think about this? Does this resonate with you? Would you be interested in answering a few questions about this? Yes. I mean, that's the that's part of the homework, and that's part of why an agent would say yes and why a publisher would say yes, is that you've already discovered your audience and you're serving them. Yeah, this is actually really liberating once you understand what it means. A lot of people feel like they have to write a book so that they can have a ministry and that the publishing of the book starts their ministry. It's like, okay, Mm. now finally I can minister. And that is totally 100% backwards. You can start ministering right now. If you have the spirit of the living God inside of you, you have not just been given permission. You have been commissioned. You've been commanded Mm -hmm. to start ministering. So get out there and minister, right? Paul waited years to start writing epistles, years and years and years. Do you know how long he waited to start preaching the gospel? I don't know, like 24 hours. <laughs> he yeah, was like was out on this. He wasn't even back to his hometown yet, and he's already preaching the gospel. And so you can start ministering now. And if you do that, if you give yourself permission, not that you matter because you've already been commissioned by a much higher power than yourself, but once you get out there and start ministering, it actually will help improve your writing because you'll understand your target audience better. Uh, a common mistake that I see both fiction and nonfiction do, but it's particularly common for novelists, is that they write the book and then they try to figure out who it's for. It's like mm-hmm. they've made a shoe and now they're trying to find a foot that fits the shoe. It's like, no, 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 no. You got to first find the foot and then you have to make the shoe to fit the foot. You have to write the book to fit the audience, right? When Paul would write one of his letters, he knew who he was writing to and he knew them. 
if if not personally and often he knew them personally and he's like naming names in the back uh, but if not that but then by reputation he'd done his market research and he wrote his letter yeah. to the romans and but even at the back of romans he's got all these names of people who had been there so while he hadn't visited yet he was still familiar with the people that he was writing to you need to do the same and one way that you can do that if you're writing fiction is to start writing short stories and to start uh, reading the books that your readers are reading and, and talking to them about the books that they like and finding out what about your book do you enjoy? What about this book was your favorite part? What are the tropes? You know, you can't use the term trope because that's an industry term. But you're asking questions to figure out what those tropes are that really get them excited. And then you're understanding what ingredients to work into your story and into your book. Yeah, I agree. It's really about it's it's really about serving people and demonstrating that you know who your people are and that there's a big enough audience there that a publisher will be like I could see how that could sell because I know there's lots of people that have that problem, problem A, problem B. Um so yeah, uh this is you you really only have that one chance to make a first impression on a literary agent. And so do your best. Uh, don't query right away. Don't just jump in. Think about it. Pray about it. Do your research. Know your audience. And then uh, with all of that behind you, then go ahead and write your query letter. I wrote a blog post. It's also a podcast episode called The Ten Commandments of Book Marketing. And the first commandment is to love thy reader as you love thy book. <laughs> so you got to love your reader as much or more frankly, as you love your book. You can't be so in love with your book that you're unwilling to change it to have yeah. a better thrill and connect to your reader. And um, sometimes that means putting that first book aside for a lot of authors. Uh, their first book is therapy. It's to help them work through their own issues. And it's really to prepare them to start writing books. Just like with learning music, your first you know songs you learned weren't for recording to put in the album. They're just to help you improve your voice or your playing of the instrument. But with practice comes the ability to create words that are worth recording and, and printing. And a lot of this sounds like, oh, I, you know, I want to get published really quickly. And I know it's often with older people, they get into a real hurry where it's like, I got to move, I got to move, I got to do it now. And they don't realize that that's actually the slowest, longest path. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. be faithful in the little things and don't take shortcuts is actually the fastest path to publication, not by trying to look for shortcuts and using the fact that you're older as an excuse. Yeah, definitely. So what are some other tips on how to um, make a query letter that really pops? I would say um, kind of just everything I have just said. I'm, I'm trying to think of something else that could be said, but um, clarity, uh, there's no questions in my mind as I read it about what it's about and um, that you know how to move, you know how to move your audience. Um, and I think just to add one more point to that, I would say passion is really important. Um, I read a lot of passionless prose. I read a lot of passionless uh, proposals. Um, I read a lot of passionless books that are already published. It's, it's like people want to be published more than they want to be influenced by God for a message. And so if you're passion driven, it will come out in your query. You can't just like use exclamation points and pretend that's passion. If you're really passionate about a topic and God has brought you down the road of healing or whatever it is, or, you know, a story that's really burning in your heart, um, 
then it will come out off in the query and also on the page. And so be sure that this is not just you ticking a box that you want to be a published author. Make sure this is something that wakes you up at night, um, is a blow to the head, like Kafka says. It's like something you cannot let go of. It's like an obsession. You, you keep hearing from God about it, and there's just something about it that you have to do. And one of those ways to demonstrate that passion is to do the work to build a platform. To, to mm-hmm. connect with your readers and to not have just done the bare minimum of, of work to put together a query letter. So, Mary, give us some examples of some query letters that you've gotten that you're just like, wow, this is a great query letter. Yes, let me go find them. Well, I did have the, the strange pornographic one, so I'm not going to use that one as <laughs> that's what not to do. Um, Every Christian literary agent can give you examples of just weird off the wall proposals. My, I think second day as a literary agent, I got a proposal from somebody who was talking about how Jesus came to earth in a medium class spaceship to talk to Vladimir Putin. And it was like, I was convinced at first that this was Steve like pranking me by sending me this like totally off the wall proposal. But no, it was real. (laughs) It's like, this isn't a Christian uh, proposal. This is a science fiction proposal that assumes that all of Christianity is fiction. This is like an anti-Christian proposal. So that one, that one definitely got, got rejected. One of mine that I really appreciated was, um, it was about a very difficult topic, but his query was, was very clear and he had already been working in this space and that really had an impact on me. Plus he oddly, um, he really worked hard on his uh, on his proposal. So after I I heard the query or read the query, I asked for the proposal. It was highly professional. He had he had consulted with an expert to write the proposal. So that really had a lot of impact on me. And oddly, he found me through LinkedIn, which was odd because I you know I'm never there, and I just happened to say I'm a literary agent there. But he found me that way. Um, I didn't end up agenting him for uh, other reasons I wanted to, but it just didn't, he had multiple queries out there. Um, But his professionalism was what really touched me. I had another one from a, a girl who had a really powerful story, and it's not necessarily a memoir, but she was talking about, um, uh, having being sexually molested by her father and uh, having to go to court in the 80s about it, which you can just imagine what that was like. And then the the end of the story had to do with being with him as he was dying of COVID. And so there was just so much relevance um, in the story. So there was just a poignantness about that particular story that caught my attention. Um but yeah, I would say most of the queries I get are are medium vanilla-ish, <laughs> and most do not stand out to me. Sadly, that's really sad. But um, I've I've only been doing this for two months, so um, yeah, <laughs> I hope that answers your question. Well, and one thing I want to point out that that first one you mentioned, the guy who reached out to you, LinkedIn, and had a really professional query. When you do this right, and you have a really strong query, you don't just get interest from one agent; you get interest mm-hmm. from multiple agents and when that once you pick the agent that you want to work with best which is great to have options often you don't just get interest from one publisher you get interest from multiple publishers and this 10x is the amount of marketing dollars you get 
and it 10x's 10 times when i say 10x that's what i'm talking about yeah the amount of advance you get because the publishers start bidding against each other and they take the fact that other publishers are interested as a signal that this author really has what it takes this is one of the advantages to waiting to really do it right where you're not begging you know like i got the one agent who would say yes to me and i got the one publisher who said yes to me and i've got no negotiating leverage as opposed to having like i had five agents offer me a contract and i got to talk to each one on the phone and pick the one i most wanted to work with and i remember that when that happened to me i was a literary agent and i got this query i was like wow i'm gonna work with this person and she's like well i'm talking to these other agents they already got back to me and i was like yeah, you know, I, I believe it because she had a really strong mm-hmm. query. So there is hope. And if you do the work to develop your craft and you do the work to build your platform, and the easiest way to do this, the cheapest way to do this is to just buy books on publishing, writing, mm-hmm. and marketing and read those books uh, and listen to free podcasts like this one. <laughs> so you're already doing the work. Keep doing it. Keep practicing. You will get better. Get feedback when you can from people who know what they're talking about. And as you are faithful in the little things, you'll be proven to be worthy of greater things. So, Mary, if people want to pitch you and send you a query letter, where should they send it? <laughs> to Thomas Umstadt at – no, I'm just kidding. It's They would query me at representation at booksandsuch.com. That's B-O-O-K-S-A-N-D-S-U-C-H.com, representation at booksandsuch.com. And then put my name in the subject line so that way it will get to me. Oh, what an interesting! So they have a uh, somebody who's kind of acting as the director, keeping the spam out and yes. redirecting the the notes to the right folks, and seeing if somebody knows even the basic instructions of putting the name in the subject line. What a what a clever way to do it! Yeah. So, um, and then if you want to find Mary's podcast and listen to her prayers, it's PrayEveryDay.show, which uh, is a very popular podcast, and it's also an Alexa skill. You can find it all over. Mary Dumith, uh, thank you so much for joining us today on the Christian Publishing Show. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much, Thomas. Our sponsor today is the Christian Writers Market Guide. If you want information about who the agents are, what they're looking for, the Christian Writers Market Guide is the go-to source. It will tell you in the agent's own words what they're looking for. Mary probably has already had to fill out her Christian Writers Market Guide blurb where she says what she's looking for and what she's not looking for. And this is the advantage of getting the online guide as opposed to the printed guide. So while Mary's info will be in the 2022 market guide, it won't be in the printed 2021 market guide, but it will be in the online version. And what is true for Mary DeMuth Literary Agent is true for all of the other literary agents as well. So you can sign up uh, for the Christian Writers Market Guide at christianwritersmarketguide.com. Thank you for listening to The Christian Publishing Show. For more information and to get episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit christianpublishingshow.com.